0: This episode of Trapital is brought to you by Steed, the tax strategy firm built for our industry. It's almost that time of year. Taxes are a critical part of your business, but in creative sectors, the standard cookie cutter approach won't work. You need a solution built for your needs as a founder, exec, artist, talent, investor, CEO, and all of the multiple hats that you wear. You can lose countless earnings without the right strategy. Steed offers customized tax planning to maximize your savings. Their network connects you with over 600 tax strategists who understand complex laws and regulations. With Steed, you can track your finances, access important documents, and give you more time to focus on what matters in your career. The company has worked with execs from United Masters, Spotify, and some of the Trapital listeners already use Steed. Due to the high demand, the waitlist is now 1,600 strong, but Trapital listeners can skip the list and get a free consultation to see how much you can save. Want to learn more? Schedule your free consultation with Steed using the link in our show notes. And when you talk to them, tell them that Dan from Trapital sent you. Well, we make stars. And if you come through this door, you have a chance of becoming the next Taylor Swift. You have a chance of becoming the next Ed Sheeran, Ariana Grande, The Weeknd, whoever but is that really true? Hey, welcome to Trapital. I'm your host, Dan Runcy. This is your place to gain insights on the business that shapes music, media, and culture. We dive deep into the companies and moguls who start the trends that shape the rest of the business world. In 2023, two of the biggest artists of the world, Taylor Swift and Beyonce, had massive years. Taylor Swift had the first ever billion dollar tour, Beyonce had a half a billion dollar tour, and they both made tens of millions of dollars in box office revenue from their respective concert films. Both of these artists maintained awareness in the public consciousness and in the culture in a way that it's hard for any singular artist to be able to do. But both Taylor and Beyonce have been in the limelight making commercially successful music for decades now. What does it look like for the artists starting out today though? What does their ceiling look like? Can the artists starting out today or that have broken through in the past few years reach the same level and have the same level of commercial success that we've seen from Taylor Swift and Beyonce recently? To answer this question and break it down, I'm joined by Tati Sirisano from Media Research. And we talk about some of the newer artists today. We talk about Billie Eilish and Olivia Rodrigo. But then we also go a couple of years before that, looking at artists like Post Malone and Dua Lipa, Doja Cat, SZA. What does their ceiling look like? can they have a year like we've just seen two of the biggest artists in the world have? If so, what's working in their favor? If not, what do the industry dynamics look like and what does the appropriate ceiling look like for an artist breaking through today, given TikTok and all of the other things that are competing for their fans' attention? I really enjoyed this one, and I hope you do too. So let's take a deep dive into the next generation of artists and what the realistic ceiling looks like for them. I'm joined with Tati Sirisano for Media Research, and we were texting, we we're texting a couple weeks ago, and we we're texting about Dua Lipa and the song Houdini, because this is a song that came out hot on the charts and fell off pretty quickly. And this isn't the first time that you and I have had a text exchange about Dua Lipa specifically. I think we're both fans, but it brought us down this broader conversation about whether or not the stars that have gotten big today in the music industry. When I say today, I mean artists that have gotten big since streaming really took off. Can they ever catch the level of fame, success, commercial performance of the stars that came before them? And she was a good person to talk about this, but I think there's a number of people that we could go down this rabbit hole with. The
1: the topic at the very core of it is something that is basically all I've been studying um, since I moved to Midia and is one of the things that attracted me to Midia in the first place was their, their work on this topic. So
0: I felt that this year was a timely place to start with this because the entire year, there's two people that we've been hearing more and more about. And that's Taylor Swift and Beyonce. We see the massive tours that they've had. We see our record breaking everything that they've had, whether it's the private performances, whether it's the big deals, whether it's Taylor Swift's billionaire announcement, whether it's the concert films that they have. And it's also not a coincidence that these are both people that have been famous and established as stars for a very long time beyonce we're pushing 25 years now at this point i mean even before that i think she was signed to columbia almost 30 years ago and taylor swift were pushing 20 years as well just dating back to her being a teenager and moving to nashville to get everything started with her career and you think about all of the artists that are trying to break through now a Can they get to that level? And B, will it take 20, 25 years for them to be able to do the same? But that's what really made us pause because there's so much opportunity. You hear about how it's easier than ever. And of course, there's plenty of success to be had in the industry, but this is a star making industry an industry that is driven by the people that can reach to the top and right now there's only a handful of people that can reach the top and when we're talking about that level these are people that have been in our lives for a very very long
1: time yeah I know it, it feels like the perfect year to talk about this and you know on the, on the one hand there's been this guiding theme for the whole year of this idea that oh there's too much music out there. Um, nobody's breaking through, you know, there's this oversaturation, which is the first episode that I recorded with you, Dan, was about music industry oversaturation problem. Um, but then I think with, with Beyonce and Taylor, it also brought up this sort of paradox where a lot of people in the industry were saying, how can you at the same time say that everyone is going deeper into niches and every and there's no mainstream yet. Taylor Swift is, you know, making history with this billion dollar tour moment. Um, and that's, a paradox that I we will unpack. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think all of those things make this just the perfect time to talk about this.
0: So is monoculture dead? Because that's the thing that we kept out here for the past decade. But after this past year, do you think monoculture is dead?
1: I think it's dying. I don't think it's entirely dead. But I think um, um, if you if you listen to that podcast about the, the fragmentation that we had, um, we talked about how, you know, you think about in the CD era, you had maybe five or 10 artists to choose from as a listener that were sort of fed to you through mainstream media. And you could go and discover other things, but essentially, you know, you didn't have, you didn't have as much to choose from and those artists kind of dominated, but now we're in this era where you have everything and more to choose from. You have algorithms driving you deeper into niches. You're not just limited to new music. Everything is new as long as it's new to you. Um, so I think it's just natural that culture is sort of fragmenting. Um, and we do see this in the data. One of my favorite points to bring up is from uh, BPI, and they're all about the music study every year. Um, I always wait for it to come out to see this this one statistic, which is what percentage of all annual audio streams in the UK um, came from the top 100 tracks. Um, and in 2016, it was 10%. Last year, it was 4%. So that just shows, like you still have these hits. So I don't think monoculture is dead. You st- there are still you know those those things, but I think it's I think it's dying, and we see that in the in that trend of how the hits aren't as aren't as big anymore. They just aren't dominating as much.
0: And that's where I think that depending on the lens that you look at, things are different because. I don't think it's necessarily dead. I think it's maybe dead in the way of looking at the way things may have been in the CD era. But there's also a lot that's different then versus now, too, that kind of works in the other way. So I guess as a, as an example there, the fact that streams themselves or what comes out from the listener share of music isn't necessarily as dominated by the top 100 songs. I think that's true. There's also this other aspect of now because there are so many places where someone like Taylor Swift could be in your face, whether you're watching an NFL game, whether you're going to AMC to go to watch a movie or whatever it is, you always see this person. So there's some aspect of that that can give you a bit of that like inescapability that you could have had 20, 25 years ago when you keep hearing the same song of the summer constantly. So there is that aspect of it. But because people do have more options in general... People can experience things. And I think that there's just more success to be had within the margins, within the areas where someone could be having a multi million dollar career thriving and we don't know who they are. And that was something that wasn't possible back then. Yes, people will always appreciate music for the quality of the music itself, but there's that connected shared experience that extends to it. And when you are given the influx of music and optionality, the more people do want the hits. And streaming does enable that to happen even more so because everything is there you now have access to this store this online store that has endless inventory in a way that the cd era didn't quite work the same way i know we've talked about this in different podcasts but it's not like the way the things were in the 90s or 2000s where for instance let's say in like 1999 unless you're a true hip-hop head in new york someone like 50 cent maybe someone that you know but isn't nearly as big as like jay-z or dmx or some of the other new york rappers but four years later in 2003 50 cent is the biggest rapper in the world that same type of dynamic doesn't necessarily exist today and that's something where it's different where i look at some of the people that we're going to discuss in this episode and looking at them four years from now are any of them going to become the biggest artists in the world bigger than taylor swift bigger than beyonce or drake or adele or some of the artists in that category and it's tough to say and if anything you probably lean more towards no than yes just given the way that things are now and thinking about this episode i feel like there's kind of two frames of thought to bucket this in where you're currently in this phase where the biggest stars in the world now have either been in our lives in some form for 15 plus years taylor swift drake adele beyonce or they are artists that are from more developing regions in the world where music infrastructure wasn't as strong but because they were able to rise as that was rising they were able to get a bit of that quote-unquote monocultural benefit in a way that others didn't because it just wasn't as developed as it is today thanks to streaming and thanks to a lot of the things that have been created there thinking about artists like bts bad bunny carol g or Burna boy that i think fall in that category as well
1: a lot of it has to do with sort of like the streaming adoption curve and where you fell on it as an artist in your region. What Taylor, Beyonce, Drake, Adele, what they all have in common is that they kind of came up in the early days of streaming. So they were able to benefit from expanding your audience, getting more ears, all those things without having to deal with all of the second order impacts that were going to affect the next generation of just it being super fragmented and hard to cut through and all these things. So I think that's really interesting in the context of when we talk about like Bad Bunny and and these other artists, because um, they also tend to come from regions that are earlier in their streaming adoption curves. So it might also be, you know, a, a benefit there where if you're that artist, it's easier for you to cut through because the fragmentation hasn't happened as much yet. Kind of ironically, if you're one of those artists from the early days of streaming, It's almost easier for you to be dominant today because if you're the rare artist that can get everyone listening to the same thing at once, like just a handful of people, you have a clearer path to the top because it's like the rest of the vote is split. You know what I mean? Like they just can clearly get those higher positions on the charts and they tend to last for longer. That's why it can also be confusing to talk about this stuff because fragmentation is happening at the same time as Taylor Swift is bigger than ever. And I think that's kind of why.
0: It operates in this world where timing plays a bigger factor than people think. Yes, someone like a Taylor Swift or Drake are talented, but You could take someone that was just as talented, had all the same credentials and everything else. We're going to talk about some of those artists in a few minutes, but they couldn't be as big as the late 2000s version of Drake or the late 2000s version of Taylor Swift and what they were able to do then the next decade. It just doesn't work in that same way. And I think the other thing, too, is thinking about both the model and how the DSPs work and function, because... They are in many ways incentivized to give each user the music that they most want to listen to. And people that listen to streaming services, millennials from a generational perspective are the largest generation group that uses those services. That's one thing. And then two, people always go back to the music that they like that came out when they were in high school and they were of college age. So when you compound those two together, it lends itself very well to those artists that fit within That era, So like they can grow with the platform in a way that I think is just much, much harder for others to do.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a great way to set this up with the whole timing thing. Because with this episode, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're less interested in talking about the talents of these people, because I think we'd all agree all these artists are talented. It's more... What role is the current state of the industry playing in their ability to actually make it? And will they be able to reach those heights? Um, So I think that's kind of a good way to set this
0: up too. Because I think to some extent you could say that the talent is neutralized, but people can have their debates. But I actually don't think that it even matters to an extent because I think that a lot of these new artists have just as much talent. And again, not the purpose of this discussion, but I think that the dynamics make a bigger influence here than anything. When We're talking about the biggest artists in the world because I know that the term superstar is this term that, to be honest, I've heard at least like 42 plus artists and their managers refer to them and their artists as superstars. And it's something that can lose its meaning a bit. But what I'm talking about this, we're clearly talking about the past years that we've seen with the artists that we mentioned earlier where we're talking about stadium level tours we're talking about when you release a music or when you have a headlining moment or appearance somewhere it creates a true moment that can be hard to quantify just beyond the numbers just given the impact thinking about something like beyonce doing her coachella performance or something like that or drake and some of the various things that he's had and other intangibles in that type of way and there's a number of artists that have had Billboard number one hits. They've had songs that have had billions of stream on Spotify. and We're going to get into that, but we're clearly talking about there being levels to this because we are now in, you know, 10 plus years of no other pop star being able to have a bigger release on when their album comes out than Taylor Swift and no other rapper being able to have a bigger release when their album comes out than Drake. That's just kind of the way that things are there. I think with that, we can jump into this and go with some of these artists And we split these up into tiers here. And again, these are not tiers of talent. These are just tiers in terms of where they are today. And as we're going to discuss, their potential likelihood to be able to get to that level. So for tier three, we have Billie Eilish, Olivia Rodrigo. We have Berta Boy and Pulse Malone. I think we should start with Billie Eilish. She's fascinating because I think in many ways she burst onto the scene as someone that spoke for gen z in a lot of ways she was one of the embodiments of that image she was also very particular with both her and her team about how they looked at both her music and her touring and even things like not releasing an album up until 2019 even though she was putting out music since 2016. Going on tour, I think she technically is now on her, or at least completed her fifth or sixth tour, depending on if you count the few shows she did before the um, the pandemic with that tour. So she's someone who has done very well, both critically, done well commercially, and has checked a lot of the boxes that you would expect someone that could be the biggest artist in the world to.
1: When I was kind of thinking about this, I felt like maybe we even underestimated Billy by putting her in this third tier. Like, I know the tiers are also a little bit too soon when you came up. You had the same thought?
0: <laughs> yes, yes. I was <laughs> literally going so through, funny. and I was like, oh, man, we might have been a little... But, but, but no, I want you to continue, because maybe we'll see why, why we thought that.
1: I, I was looking at um, how she really does well across all fronts, which I think is... One of the things that's so important about reaching that level of superstardom. She streams really well. She had 64.2 million monthly listeners on Spotify when I checked. She sells albums. She, the biggest venue she's headlined is a stadium. I think she t- did her first stadium over the summer. So her, you know, touring is huge. And she also has this super fan base that's very strong and that I think is one of those key factors that will help her in this next generation. Cause I think you can't just rely on passive streams anymore to be a superstar. You need to be able to have those super fans. And she has that. And she also kind of going off that point, like occupies this very specific niche, which is part of the reason why people love her so deeply. Um, so she was kind of my pick actually, when I, when I went through this for, When it comes to longevity, when I was kind of coming up as like a music journalist, she was the first artist for me that I saw, you know, play a really small venue. And then I saw, I like saw her headline Coachella. Like I saw like the actual trajectory from the perspective of working in the industry. And I remember having this thought like, oh my God, I'm watching like the next generation superstar come up and this was before all this fragmentation stuff that you know I started to to study but I kind of still feel a little bit that way that she will have that Longevity And she has global appeal is another thing I was going to say, um, which is another important factor here. You know, she's touring in Asia. I think that's where her first stadiums were. She's all over the world. So what did, what did you think? What made you feel like, oh, we didn't give her enough, enough light?
0: <laughs> I think there's a few things. I think that she albums stream well. We're talking hundreds of millions of streams when they do debut had hit singles on each of these albums. Has also done really well on the award circuit as well. We could debate about how important that is, but that album, where do we go? She won four Grammys that year. I mean, no one had won the big four Grammy Awards since Christopher Cross with the, the, that, um, the Yacht Rock music in like the early 80s. We just hadn't seen anyone do that. And I think it'll be very tough for anyone to do that again. She may win her second Oscar this year for the, mo- for the song from the Barbie movie she just did snl for for the third time recently again some of these things don't necessarily matter as much but she's checked all these boxes where she spent the time as i mentioned to build that touring product where she did a bunch of these small venues honestly all the way up until 2019 that's when she really started doing you know larger auditoriums and arenas and now as you mentioned she has done shows state and she's headlining coachella And I think she's the closest thing that you get to someone truly feeling they're a spokesperson for a generation, whether they like that title or not. Almost in the same way that in the early 90s with Ice Cube, Dr. Dre and Kurt Cobain and artists like that, you started to see people become spokespersons for Gen X in that way. I think she has a bit of that with herself. So there's a lot that's there. The thing is, though, there's still a bit of a difference between like where she is now and some of the other artists that we mentioned from that perspective. I can't say that I've heard a lot of her music in you know, supermarkets or places like that. And again, not that that is the threshold you need to get to, but again, maybe she could be up a tier from like where we're talking. But I do think that there's a lot there, longevity, but longevity to obviously continue like where she is. I'd be curious to see how much higher she could get from here, but obviously it's a clearly a very successful commercial career. I think she just turned 22 years old, so there's plenty of runway here.
1: She takes her time between albums, which makes sense. Um, you know, isn't like a I don't want to say that any of these things are bad or good, but in terms of like what's I guess advantageous or what you're incentivized to do in the streaming era is release all the time. Um, so I do sometimes feel that the artists that release more often um maybe do have a better chance at that and if you're the type of artist that really needs those couple of years between albums, which is again, makes sense. <laughs> uh, I, I think it, it, it can, that's a factor, I guess, is what I'm saying.
0: I think she also got hurt a bit by the pandemic. By this, I mean that in 2019, she dominated the conversation in a lot of ways that I think was harder for anyone to really, because a lot of that time was her breakout in a mainstream way. I think a lot of people were trying to figure out wait. This is how Gen Z looks. This is how Gen Z dresses. This is the kind of music they like. It was a bit of that discovery moment. And I think that worked out well for her. That album um, has still done commercially better than even this most recent one has, Happier Than Ever. I mean, it still has done well, but she was able to hit a moment there. And again, she was touring year after year, smaller venues. She opened for Florence of the Machine, and then she started a tour in march of 2020 she did three shows the last show was march 12th literally a day after i think it was the nba and a few others had shut down and then at that point she ended that tour Then it wasn't until she released her next album a year later and then just went on tour this past year so Of course, she's still doing her thing. She's still been able to create music and everything else. But I think there was a sky high trajectory of where everything was going, especially after that Grammys win. And then I think for her, just given where the momentum was, the pandemic was a bit of tough timing because that was when she was going to be able to see a lot of those fans on the road. And it isn't until three years later that she was actually able to do that. I was just looking at some of the stats here about the album's comparison. So, when We All Fall Asleep did 194 streams in its first week versus Happier Than Ever did 114 streams in its first week. So, it was a bit of a, a little bit of a drop off there. I don't think she had as many big singles from that album as she did from the earlier one, but again, I think there's still a lot that works in her favor there. But yeah, I think that was the one thing I saw that made me think that, oh man, like there's clearly a lot there. I mean, Happier Than Ever was huge, but I do think that Bad Guy was one of those songs. I mean, it went diamond and I think that you kind of need a few more of those. I think if you're going to hit that top top level, no,
1: and some of that is also kind of natural with how huge she got so quickly over a couple of years. Um, the hype was so high. I think it's kind of inevitable that maybe the second album doesn't doesn't always do as well, and it's not necessarily like a sign of. The future, and also yeah, the pandemic impact is such a good, such a good point.
0: Someone else that I think may fall into a slightly similar category here is the next person we're going to talk about, Olivia Rodrigo, because Sour was huge. But this is the thing where you kind of need to read some of the finer lines to get it. So technically, Guts sold more from like a Billboard 200 perspective than Sour did, but that was mostly because of physical sales and vinyl. But if you look at the Number Sour had 300 million streams in its first week versus Guts had 199. So almost a 50% difference there when we're talking about it. And I think that as popular as the song Vampire was, and as popular and as well as this album has done, and I think in some ways, some people even think it's more critically acclaimed than the other one. I just don't think there's a hit that's quite as big as that, like, driver's license song on this. And I think sometimes you do kind of like need that type of hit to be able to have things carry through.
1: I will say she does just based on like interviews and things. Um, She does seem to be very intentional about wanting to take her career step by step and not just kind of going for every opportunity out the gate, like not wanting to go straight to arenas, wanting to start her first tour smaller, things like that. I, I, I feel like she did take a, a significant break from kind of being in the public eye, which again comes with its costs. Um, But also I, I, I get the sense from her that she is intentionally building a little bit slowly, which might have to do with that, you know, maybe a smart long-term strategy. I was looking at some of the numbers and one of the things that I wanted to bring in this conversation that we were texting about um, with Dua is that at Midia, we actually every so often do these brand trackers in our consumer surveys that uh, we ask about a bunch of artists. Um, we also do this, you know, for games and video and all these other things. And we just see how aware consumers are of them and then we see if they like them or not. And this is only fielded in the us and the uk so granted it's like a limit more limited scope but some of these artists were on there and i was looking at contrasting uh billy and olivia rodrigo and olivia is interestingly about 20 percentage points behind billy when it comes to brand awareness which on the one hand makes sense because i think billy is kind of the bigger star and has been just around longer like she had her breakthrough moment a couple years earlier um, but I also found that a little bit surprising and uh, because of how present Olivia, it feels like Olivia has been over the past few years. So maybe that's another example, potentially, of the, the fragmentation point that it's just we still have these hit artists, but they're just not reaching the same levels as whoever came before them, like as, as we go, you know, on and on with the years. So I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: I think another thing that made me think of is the distinction between how people have tried to bucket and perceive these artists because someone like Billie Eilish I don't think anyone's necessarily tried to make a true comp to say oh she's like this person or she's like that person but I think they have done more of that with Olivia Rodrigo where she puts out that Sour album and there's she was on Sub magazine cover with her and Alanis Morissette like people were wondering oh is this her jacket little pill with some of that angstiness of that you know, late teenager, early twenties type of person. Then she puts out this album. People are like, oh, is this like Avril Lavigne? Like, is she trying to do a bit of that? So people have been more trying to place her in a more traditional box in that type of way. Which I wonder sometimes does that lend itself more towards the recognition, but not necessarily that like the deepness of the fandom, relatively speaking. Of course, she has fans. And she has been doing quite well, I think selling out. And I remember picking up on that too, where, yeah, a lot of people were trying to push her to do arenas right after Sour came out, but it's like, no, let me go things in, in the right stages. And I think just given her years of experience being in the public light, this was a Disney kid that has gotten to this level. So I do think that there are things that have you know worked in her favor. I think she recently did a tiny desk performance and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't know if I necessarily see her ever getting as big as some of these other artists, but I th- I still think there's a very successful career ahead.
1: Going off what you were saying about like Alanis said and all that is she appeals to both, I think, teenagers today and like my generation, because I grew up on Avril Levine and I like listening to Olivia Rodrigo because there's this nostalgia bit to it. There's this like, oh, I know that I would have loved this if I was, this came out when I was 13. So you know, she does kind of play to multiple generations in a really interesting way with that.
0: So, next person here, we got Berta Boy. He definitely falls in that other category you mentioned earlier in terms of being a international artist that has done quite well. And I think in many ways, he has become one of the leading artists to come out of not just West Africa, but Africa overall as an entire continent. He sold out a stadium in London. He sold out a stadium in um new york as well so he clearly has that strong reach and i remember with one of luminates uh recent reports they just showed how popular afrobeats was especially in the us and i do think that he's a big reason for that the spotify numbers may not be necessarily as strong but we also know that spotify and streaming isn't necessarily the dominant way that a lot of people in africa may listen to their music on a regular basis and when you just think about the continued growth of the region i do think there's a lot of things that work in his favor there and this is one of those things that i think we'll get to this with some of the other artists too but one of those things where you can be a major artist but, if you're not in that particular area, you may not realize how big this person actually is. And I think he probably some of that falls into that category.
1: No, and I, I was looking at that too with like his his uh, Spotify listeners are pretty low compared to thinking you know he sold out a stadium in New York. But again, like you like you're saying, it's not the end all be all and it's especially not um if you're an artist from Africa, you know, any other region that isn't as far on the streaming adoption curve or that you know Spotify isn't available. He also, in all of that, reflects that the global superstar playing field is really not Western-centric anymore. You have people like Burnaboy Boy and Bad Bunny who are just taking over globally. So that's a a major indication to me that you look at his Spotify monthly listeners and, you know, it's pretty low. But then he's selling out stadiums and is just this globally recognized artist. So that's a pretty big indicator to me.
0: The other artists we have here in this tier... Post Malone. Last year I would had his uh, touring agent on the podcast and we're talking about some of the strategy there in terms of just picking things for him to headline and then being intentional about him being genre fluid in a way and how that did increase his reach, did increase his popularity. Those things have definitely helped him out quite a bit. I do wonder, again, someone like him can get that he already is because you know he's headlined major music festivals. He has had songs that you do hear often on the radio. He's collaborated with some of the biggest artists in the world.
1: Yeah, I think he does have a strong brand. I just don't know if it's the strong brand that will take him to like superstardom. Um, but I feel like people that are fans of Post Malone also love the artist behind it and his like you know his Crocs collaborations and his Rosé brand and like you know just all of these things that are part kind of part of his personality. So I think. That is one of the things that's going for him is not only just is he a really strong streaming artist, but I think he does play to a particular brand and sort of niche. But how far can that go, I think, is a valid question. I, I don't know.
0: The bloodlight spokesperson for America. Right. <laughs> All right. With this one, now we have tier two, which, again, I think, as we just talked about it, I mean, I don't see why Billie Eilish wasn't in this group that we said before. I mean, she might even be ahead of some of the people we're going to get into, but I think this is our time to talk about Dua Lipa. So I'll let you kick things off with her.
1: So Dua, I think my bottom line, and this is kind of like what we were we, we were texting about is she has tons of hit songs. She has a super strong live resume, but I don't know that she has as strong a brand or a super fan factor, um, or at least that hasn't come through yet. We were kind of talking about, you know, how... She's one of those artists that I think a lot of people may be more familiar with her songs than her as an artist, um, which you know isn't just something that's happening to Dua. I think that's a that, that's happening to a lot of artists, but um, she does feel kind of taken from the traditional pop star playbook in a way that's that's interesting because I don't think that the previous era's strategies are gonna be what takes artists to superstardom in the next era. You know, uh, if we don't have as many of these sort of mass media vehicles to just tapping into the mainstream anymore, I think that the, the pathway is going to look different. Yet, I feel like a lot of what from what I can tell, the strategy with Dua has been very like taken from the traditional playbook. Um, but that said, you know, huge live artists, um, I think the Future Nostalgia Tour was e- extremely successful. She's reportedly plotting a stadium tour for 2024, and I think she could do it, um, which ties in with her being really globally successful, which is another thing, especially I think in the UK and also in places like, um, like Brazil and in Latin America. But yeah, she does strike me as one of those artists that her songs may be more famous than her brand, but I think that's a, that's a weak point.
0: Is there anyone else that is doing stadiums where their songs are more famous than them? I can't think of anyone.
1: I didn't get to see the Fusion Nostalgia tour. I would have loved to. It looked amazing, but it felt to me kind of like it was um, going for the show, not necessarily because you're a fan of the artist. Like I was telling, I was telling you how um, my mom went with her friend. My mom isn't like a huge Dua Lipa fan. She just thought the show would be would be fun and entertaining, and it was. People that went said that it felt like you were at a club. It seems like a lot of people. Uh, loved the spectacle of it um, more than anything and maybe that's part of the reason that there's that discrepancy where yeah she's she's touring stadiums yet her songs are more famous than her
0: I don't know yeah she's interesting because I also think her music also has a slow burn factor to it where either it burns slowly or sometimes it may just not burn at all but for instance Dance the Night the song from the barbie soundtrack so that song comes out two months before the movie comes out i looked at some stats and that was another one where for the first month or so 15 million streams it had a little bit more in june but it really didn't take off until july when the movie comes out and in many ways that's honestly the opposite of what you expect to happen when you release the music before the movie comes out you do expect to have a little bump you want the music to carry and live on its own, almost independent of the movie. And I think that movie needed the whole song, needed the whole Barbenheimer effect for that to exceed all the expectations it did in that way. Like if Barbie doesn't exceed everything and become a one point whatever billion dollar movie, I don't think that Dance the Night would have been nearly as big of a hit as it is. And even today, as we're looking at this, is a song that has around 133 million views on YouTube. I think a lot of artists would love to have that, but Dua Lipa's New Rules has over 2 billion YouTube views. Granted, this is a song that came out almost seven years ago at this point, but in a lot of ways, that's the benchmark that you're looking at. You're looking at the also the popularity of a song with um like her and Calvin Harris, One Kiss. So that's a huge song that I think also was able to carry that way. And... Similarly, with Future Nostalgia, this is not an album that topped the Billboard charts by any means. I think it maybe it had like, I think it was around like 60,000 or 70,000 units at least from Billboard in the US. That album eventually continued to do well, but it wasn't that immediate hit because I think for so many artists, you have the big first week and then things start to trickle down. I think that was maybe the opposite where it comes out and then it just continues to do well because it just had so many hits. But again, it's that it continued to kind of live there hit to hit and i was looking at some of the spotify stats here as well she's either on either featured or leading as an artist at over nine songs that have over a billion streams and i think similarly with how we started the text exchange with houdini that's a song that started off hot but i just haven't heard as much commentary about it since and she did all of the press circuit doing all the interviews and all of those things to push the song but it just wasn't quite there and who knows? Maybe that song will have its own slow burn itself, but I just don't quite see it right now.
1: I will say I love that song. <laughs> I feel like I was responsible for many of many of the streams that kept it up. Um, but no, I think there is something to be said for the fact that her last album was in 2020, and yet she seems like she is always in the conversation um, in some way. I feel like I'm always seeing photos of her. She's always guesting on shows. She has her own podcasts. Like like you said, she was in the Barbie movie. Like she did the Versace collab. Like I think that she does keep herself relevant. She does do a pretty good job at that. But to kind of back up what I was saying about do people know the artist behind it? She's another one that I looked at on our survey. And um, she's about 30 points behind Taylor Swift in terms of brand awareness in US and UK. And what that translates to is roughly a third of people uh, don't know who she is, which feels pretty high to me
0: especially considering how huge all of these songs are and how much they all continue to resonate, but it's fascinating. But I think
1: that if, you, if you played the average person dance the night, I think they would recognize it or any, or any of her other hits, you know, I don't think it would be a third of people.
0: Right. It'd be like, Oh, that's her. <laughs> Which says something about it, right? Like Beyonce or Taylor Swift would never have a song that'd be like, Oh, Oh, that's her. Like, like that's, it says something about where you are in this whole type of thing that we're saying. I want to read a tweet here. This is from DJ Louis the 14th. He's been on this podcast before he hosts Pantheon podcast. He tweeted, this is about a week or two ago. Do as a good old fashioned hit to hit pop star, not a cult of personality girly who can get any old bullshit song over on a rabbit cult audience. When it comes to the peep, if the song's not a slam dunk, no one gives a fuck. Imagine that it's quaint really, which is interesting.
1: Wow.
0: (laughs) I mean, I don't think he's necessarily wrong in that way.
1: I think he brings up a good point, though, that especially that the problem with being that type of artist is if your song isn't incredible, it's not going to go far at all. Whereas if your song is pretty good and you're that cult of personality artist, people might love it anyway. Um, It might get that extra boost. So that's kind of like a risk, as he put it, hit to hit
0: (laughs) pop star. It's almost in, just to make the comparison, it's almost in the way that, again, back to Beyoncé and Taylor Swift, I think there's a lot of Beyoncé fans that thought that Renaissance was good, but nowhere near the previous three albums that she had put out before that. And I think there's a lot of Taylor Swift fans that probably felt somewhat similar about Midnight's where they liked it, but I don't know if they think that like anti-hero is making the top echelon of Taylor Swift songs that had ever been made, but because of the name behind it, it does carry some weight. Things, I don't know if we necessarily saw a lot of the personality come out. Like I think there was a period where a lot of people criticized her dancing where they thought she just had that like one move. You've probably seen the clip. There's that viral clip of her just doing like the leg or the hip move, thing and then she was asked about it and I think she was probably a little bit embarrassed and I think you could see in the next performance that she clearly put a lot of work into trying to improve her dancing I still don't think she's like a good dancer but it's tough to like make dance music without being at least you know having like some rhythm to that perspective sometimes I wonder if that has the way that just elevates the aura and the halo effect of their music that I just don't think exists in the same way
1: totally you contrast it with someone like Ice Spice. Whose personality is such a huge part of, you know, what's helped her rise. Like if there was a 73 questions with Ice Spice, I, I'd watch that immediately. <laughs> the 201, I would be honestly a bit less interested in because I don't get the sense that there's that big personality behind it. I don't know. It's, it's tough. It shouldn't be a fault, but it is. Like if I was, if I was an artist, I think people would always, would, would all say, Oh, she's so boring. <laughs> like I think it's hard to be that. But you know, in the context of this conversation of, What makes a global superstar i think that's a big
0: factor and to be fair it's not to even say that if she had that it would help because i think some of the people we're going to talk about in a minute do have some of that but i don't know and i think with that we should probably just talk about doja cat because i think she's someone that is the complete opposite in a way where you do have an idea of what this person's brand is you do have an idea of what this person is about you may not necessarily like everything that she has to say you may scratch your head and think like what's going on here but she clearly At least I'd be curious to see if you have any stats on her from like the fandom perspective. But she seems like someone that does have fans and those fans do get upset even when she says critical things about them. And they've stuck with her despite numerous controversial incidents that she's had over the years.
1: Yeah. So she's unfortunately not one of the artists that we've had um, in our brand tracker yet. You know, she does have a strong fan base, but she also alienates them. Pretty often. Um, so I don't know how that will look in the long run, but I think she is someone who does have a, a big personality is, is, you know, an, an entertainer, but also knows how to make a hit. It is kind of astounding to me. And so is her ability to kind of shape shift and do all these different genres, um, and dip in and out of so many different styles. And I think that that's something that will help her. I also think with with Doja, she might be one of those artists who rose up kind of right before we really hit this hyper fragmentation period. And so I think she might be in that position where she is one of those rare artists who can get a mass of people listening to the same thing at once and ride that path to the top in a market where everything else is so fragmented in the way that Taylor Swift has done. Maybe she won't reach as high, but I do think, you know... Her breakthrough moment came kind of like right before everything hit its peak, um, in like 2018 ish. I actually think she's pretty strong.
0: Do you think she's stronger than the people we've talked about so far? Like, I, compared to Billie Eilish, like she's probably the person we probably spoken about the most. Favorite?
1: Yeah, so that's far. that's the first one that came to mind. I think Billie's probably stronger in my mind because I think she has that. She has more of that fan base power than I see with Doja. What do you think, Dan?
0: <laughs> I think that Doja is better at making hits, as you mentioned. I think she's probably better at making hits than maybe, honestly, anyone else that on this list that we're going to talk about. I mean, even like recently with like Paint the Town Red on Scarlet, I think that was huge. Planet Her was similar to Future Nostalgia in that way where there were just so many hits that came from that album. So I think that works in her favor. I do think the big distinction between Doja and Billie Eilish, though, is that I don't want to say people like her more because that isn't even it. I think that Doja's fans really do like her, but I think that the approval rating for Billie Eilish is likely higher and that there's just been less controversial things that have came out in general. And I mean, I've even heard rumors about things like Doja Cat, whether it's Grammy submissions and things like that, just not necessarily getting the same love. And some of that being because some of these voters are like, eh, I mean we like her music and maybe we'll nominate her, but we're not going to go farther than that. And I do think she has one win, but I think those are the things that may hold her back from being in the recognition for one of these big four categories. Well, no longer would best best new artist, but one of the other three categories. So I do wonder how that may work in her favor. But to the other extent, I mean, she is doing an arena tour. She does have Ice Spice with her on this tour as well, at least in some of these stops. So there clearly is a lot, I think, that is working in in her favor. It's tough. I mean, it is tough to kind of put them together, but I do think the difference that she has probably, she has as many hits as someone like a Dua Lipa, but I think she also has a bit more of that cult of personality following, even though she can likely get in her own way a lot of the time.
1: Having a really strong brand and, and personality can either way. It can mean that fans latch onto you and are obsessed with you, or it can mean that it gets you into trouble sometimes uh, with your fans. So from a live standpoint, that seems to be a really strong point for her. I mean, I I don't think I've seen her live outside of the festival setting. The clips that I've seen of her shows, looks like fun.
0: <laughs> I feel like with someone like her, the biggest thing is, is she going to continue to enjoy this? Is she going to continue to That's be able to- That's a good point to, too. Yeah because I think that a lot with the next person that we're going to talk about which is Siza. He's someone who on one hand has some of the best staying power that I've seen for someone that has music on the charts or that music that gets released in the past 6 or 7 years than anyone that is in this time frame of what we're talking about. I just checked it. Control is number 39 on the best-selling albums in 2023 and that album came out almost seven years ago at this point it's number 39 so it's like once you get past all of the big releases that have been there i mean sos itself is number three on the list but that's an album that came out december 2022 but still so so that album's had staying power i think this one will too where kill bill had its moment where that's all you heard on the radio or that's all you heard going out snooze had its moment where that's all you heard and they were able to continue that and i think It also says a lot to Top Dog Entertainment, her record label, because a lot of people wondered, especially once Kendrick Lamar announced that he was leaving the label, people were wondering, okay, how do you follow this up? He's been the flagship artist that helped them get to where they are. And she releases a album around the same time not too different from a timing perspective from when he released his mr morale the big steppers in the same year and her album did much more commercially better than his did so she was able to show that it's able to be consistently be there granted I do think that there's certain times where she clearly had frustrations with the record label and has been quite public about that, quite public about her desire to want to make music, not want to make music anymore. So we'll see what happens. But I do think that what works in her favor is that the music has staying power on these platforms, which is really impressive. And she also is now doing arena tours and clearly has the fan base that's there.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of... With the music that she makes, it's so emotional that it's sort of like, by definition, your fan base is really attached to you. I'm a huge SZA fan, and that's how I feel. So I think that that works in her favor. I mean, she has spoke, spoken publicly about just wanting to take time away from the music industry, about um, not liking being in the spotlight, um, having a lot of anxiety around all of these things. Um, so I don't know how big she wants to be in that sense. Um So I think that's a good point to bring up too.
0: All I think about her, especially with this year coming up, you have the Grammys SOS and her are nominated in several different categories here. And while I often question how much this actually does make a difference, let's say that SOS was able to win album of the year. I feel like it would make the biggest impact for her, probably more than a lot of the other artists on that list, just because, There's been only three Black women that have won the Grammy for album of the year. It's Lauryn Hill, which has now been 24 years since that happened. It's Whitney Houston um, with the Bodyguard uh, movie soundtrack, which is now over 30 years. And then you have uh, Natalie Cole, uh, Nat King Cole's daughter, with Unforgettable. But I think a large part of that was the wildness of her and her dad singing a song together on the album. So... It would be very rare territory and just seeing how the fan base would rally and I think come through in a way that if some of these other artists won that are nominated, not that they aren't deserving, but I don't think it would quite resonate in that same type of way because you know we've seen Taylor Swift win. We've seen some of these other artists get their fair shake at things too. So I think it would likely make a huge difference and she clearly can. We'll see what happens. But I do think that it would probably make a bigger difference for her career in terms of reaching that level in terms of in, in, in what we're talking about here.
1: And I think you're right. It would mean a lot to the fan base. I feel like her fans would feel like it's personal. Like they, they took part in this one, you know? Um, I think it would be a, a special moment for sure.
0: I think too though, the thing that is probably a little bit different with her again is the, the, the personal life aspect and like, do people feel like they know this person? Do people feel like they want to connect with this person? And, I think people may feel like they want to connect with the person for sure. But again, sometimes I feel so superficial the amount of times that I bring this up. But we clearly saw that Taylor Swift's career went to a whole nother level when the drama happened with the master's ownership and everything that happened with Ithaca and all those other stakeholders, right? It was a career turning point for her, especially from where things were in her career a couple of years before that with you know, Kim, and Kim Kardashian and Kanye West and the whole drama over, over over Famous and stuff, or even Beyonce, where I think Lemonade was huge, but let's say that the footage from that elevator incident never came out, like, would that album have been made the same way? Would people have had the same association? So there's part of the attraction of it where it's not just supporting the music, it's also, oh, I gotta hear what Taylor Swift says now on this album that she releases when she's finally out of this thing or she now has her own version or I have to go listen to this Beyonce album to hear what she's going to say about Jay-Z because we may not be caught up in like the personal lives and the drama and some of the to be frank salacious details of some of these clearly extremely talented people it's a reminder that getting to these levels that we're talking about isn't just solely about the music
1: one thing that's interesting with SZA and artists like her is When you're an artist whose music is so lyrically driven and you're writing very vulnerably about things that are happening to you, I wonder how much that can actually take the place of having an online presence or engaging with your fans or doing these other things that that same artist might be uncomfortable with. Like That can sometimes, I think, be a stand in where fans still feel like they know you and feel close to you if at least your music is really telling those stories. I was thinking about that recently. Um, I was reading this interview with carol g actually and she said something like um the fans connect to me because everything that i'm writing about is like my diary and i thought huh like i, I wonder if, if you're an artist that can successfully do that maybe that's a path to not have to be in the limelight so much but i do agree with you like all of those things yeah have an impact so it's tricky it's like
0: back to the adele adele thing as well because we talked about her her ex-husband that's the father for child isn't necessarily someone that was in the positive light but people are clearly aware that she had a divorce and that was a lot of the focus of that album 30 that she released in that way like so that's there and now she herself is also in a celebrity relationship with um rich paul lebron james's agent so there's things there that people do like clearly catch on with that'll be interesting though because i think again i wonder how much of that unfairly matters to some of these male artists that we're going to talk about now that i think are in this next year and with that we could talk about some of that i know neither of us probably want to talk that much about but we're going to which is morgan wallen he is someone that in a lot of ways had a very commercially successful year in 2023 Last night was probably the closest thing that you had to a song of the year, song of the summer that was shown objectively in the streams. Even thinking about times where I was outside going to different events, I did hear it quite often. And country music does have this thing where, because there's not as many young stars that do come through, if you are a young star and you're able to help grab the reins, this is someone that recently turned 30 years old this year, he's able to do that. And this is someone that is... Been in the limelight for some time now. He was on The Voice in the mid-2010s, but things really started to kick off for him in the past few years or so, and he has been able to have his fan base and grow pretty popularly because of that, and because he's doing it in a genre that really didn't have a lot of young stars, but he's also doing it in a genre that is also willing to pay for music, and if they are going to do it, they're going to do it in the ways that can put more money in the artist's pocket, whether that's not listening on ad supported services they're going to listen on a paid service or if they do they're going to go buy a physical album whatever it is but he's also someone that has had his fair share of controversies whether it's disorderly conduct and things like that in nashville which have been quite unfortunate to see, especially during the pandemic and things just didn't paint him in the proper light. He had said a lot of comments about, okay, I'm going to work on things and try to become better. But then soon after there's video footage of him saying the N word and that then goes viral. So he apologizes again for that. So it creates this pattern where it's hard to necessarily Feel like he is someone that is going to be a true like fan favorite, and there's many reasons to have issues with him. But it's also tougher to fall in line with the fandom because after the controversy broke about him saying the N word, the sales spiked. And the sales spiked in a way that was quite frustrating to see because there's always been these connotations and thoughts about, not even connotations and thoughts, but a very justified belief about country music and its racist origins and just not welcoming Black artists and not welcoming Black people in general. Even as recently as some of the controversy when Lil Nas X had released Old Town Road and he tried to release it as a country song and they said no things like that. So it just didn't sit with a lot of people in that way. And I've even heard conversations from other platforms that do feature artists that will say, no, we are not going to do that. And I'm not even talking about in the immediate aftermath after that viral N-word clip of him went viral. I'm talking about now, like conversations I've had in the past few months where they've still said, no, we're not going to do it.
1: And just how concentrated his fan base is because To your point, his fans have stood by him through all of these controversies. I think not only stood by him, but defended him and probably overstreamed and overbought the album in support of him during that time. He has a lot going for him in that, but it also means that if he wants to expand beyond the country genre, or if he wants to become more of a global artist, which is what we're talking about here, I think that's that's going to limit him. I hope it's going to limit him. <laughs> yeah, it just feels like everything is so concentrated with him in the country genre. Um, and that's also something like an interesting point because c- country music has been slower to adopt streaming. So maybe the entire genre and its listener base are also a little bit further behind. And so Morgan Wallen has fewer country artists to compete with for his listeners. And so it's easier for him to get to the top. I think that's yeah, that's another thing that's happening for him. To that point, I saw a stat from Luminate that of all country music on demand streams in Q3, 10% belong to Morgan Wallen. I think he does have a lot going for him there, but I don't feel that he can go global or kind of transcend beyond the country genre, which is probably ultimately what will hold him back. Um, And for reference on that, too, um, in comparison with Bad Bunny, the other artist we're going to talk about, Wallen is number 232 in the world on Spotify, while Bad Bunny is number eight.
0: The fascinating thing with country is that someone like Garth Brooks is technically the best-selling solo artist of the 20th century. Part of that is because of the volume of music that he put out, but also just the frequency and the fact that he was selling to a concentrated fan base. And he was also touring that product often, and was doing it in large venues on a regular basis. There are many people that can think of 90s music and could feel like they could tell the whole entire story of 90s music in popular culture and not even mention Garth Brooks's name. And if you're a country artist that doesn't expand beyond that, because the genre itself hasn't necessarily Been as broadened into pop i think you do have to do more of the country pop thing where we clearly saw taylor swift do that you saw carrie underwood do a bit of that you see you saw shania twain do that in the late 90s as well like that's what it takes to get there so it's like he could dominate in that lane for sure but i do think that if you ever want to reach those levels there's going to have to be something there that does transcend beyond the the country music following And with that, as you mentioned, it's probably a good point to talk about Bad Bunny, because of anyone, he's probably the closest that we have. And in some ways, he could already be there to some extent. But again, it's just so different because I feel like he reminds me of the sports analogy in a way where if you ask someone in the US who the biggest athlete in the world is, they they may be more likely to say like LeBron James or someone like that. But if you actually think about it, it's... Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, and it isn't even close in terms of who it is, just considering how big their footprint is, especially when you're looking at, at least from Messi, you're looking at Latin America, and at least with Cristiano Ronaldo, you're looking at European athletes and just everything else more broadly. And I think that Bad Bunny probably falls in line with this as well. We're now talking about four straight years being the most streamed artists on Spotify his album Unverano senti the most streamed album ever on Spotify. And that's just one platform. He clearly has a strong base everywhere that he touches. He's done the big venues. He's done the, the crossover opportunities where he's been on WWE. He's been on SNL. He's done all of those things. And he's done the commercials too. So he clearly is checking all those boxes and because of the timing he's rising as Latin music is rising in these industries thanks to streaming, thanks to him in a lot of ways. It works in his favor.
1: He's definitely my top pick, I think, of all the artists we've spoken about, of the one that I think has the biggest chance of reaching those levels. Again, with, with Latin America being also a, a region that streams more than others is something that I've seen in, in a lot of reports further behind on the adoption curve. He's also an artist who releases prolifically and also knows how to create hits, kind of represents this fresh evolution of a very young genre of reggaeton, which kind of only emerged in the 90s and has a lot of room to grow itself. Um, I think he permeates culture outside of music in um, style and, you know, uh, WWE and all these things that you're talking about. But what's fascinating about him is how many people don't know who he is for being the most streamed artist on the planet for two years. And I think part of that is just the bias of being in the West and, you know, I have friends that don't know who he is. And, but if you go to Puerto Rico, everyone, everyone knows who he is. Or if you go to other, to actually in Latin America. I do also think that has to do with the fragmentation aspect. And he is one that we also had the brand tracker data on. And 60% of US and UK respondents were aware of him compared to 96% for Taylor Swift. Yeah, I think that, I think that illustrates two things. One is how. Music is no longer as Western centric as it used to be, but also that fragmentation is happening and you can be the top streamed artist on the planet and still have a lot of people who don't know you.
0: I have a question for you on what you just shared, because it makes sense. And I know you probably can't answer this, but let's say you ask that same question in Brazil. Do you think that like, is there any country that has that many people where the awareness for Bad Buddy would be higher than it would be for Taylor Swift.
1: I think there's places where it might be
0: equal, but I don't know if anybody would beat her. (laughs) Because the reason I ask is because I remember... Whatever game that was where she was in that NFL game, the first one with the Chiefs and she went to Travis Kelsey's game, there were a few tweets going around about, oh, well, she's one of the five most famous people in the world at this point. And I know it's a very easy thing to say, especially in that moment when, again, she feels inescapable. But I wondered how much of that is like us being centered to guess more like US-UK culture where I know that entertainment in hollywood is the biggest export that we have in a lot of ways from the us so someone like her is going to carry through and permeate but i do wonder because if we do think that he is someone that does have the opportunity to get you know as big or maybe even bigger like there's clearly some point then where that like rivals that to some extent so i guess it's me thinking out loud is there a point where if he is getting to that levels where yeah he is recognized at most or, or as much eve and if not more than someone like her.
1: You're probably right. I don't know sp- offhand. Like, I don't know where I would guess in specifically, but I think you're probably right.
0: It's tough. And I'm sure we probably won't know for sure. Maybe there's another study that comes out or something. We could dig into that. So I do think that he definitely has the potential. The one thing that I do think is different, so this actually just came from a report that I read. Um, Duetti, they had released this 2023 economics report and they were talking about something that i've heard people talk about anecdotally even i think i've talked about in this podcast we've never seen the actual stats for it and that's the monetization of streaming by genre and if you look at every thousand streams maybe you'll get a you know three or four dollars from that and that's roughly a thing that i think has been shared through when people talk about streaming but if you look at latin music it's Closer to a third of that, where it's a dollar and ten cents for every thousand streams that you may get. And the logic there is that A, those streams are coming from regions where people pay much less for their streaming services than people that are in regions where streaming costs ten dollars per month or more and a lot of those people may not even be paying for stream because they're listening to it on ad supported services so if you're comparing the streams but if you're comparing the money that's generated quote unquote per stream compared to an artist like morgan wallen or an artist like taylor swift where more of their users there's a higher distribution of their users that are paying 10.99 or more for the service that then allows them to make much more money
1: if an artist sold the most albums, they were probably the most popular and also made the most money. But now, now that it's consumption based with streaming for, for the popularity side, it's it's just different. Like you're saying, Bad Bunny might be earning less, even though he's streaming more. So that's an interesting long term trend. Yeah,
0: right. It's something that we just don't see as much, right. And I think if more of that stuff was present, we'd probably focus on having a stronger conversation that I feel like is at least a bit closer to talking about revenue and profit and loss and how decisions actually do get made in this industry but i think that part of the challenge is that a lot of people that are either working in latin music or latin artists themselves may not want that to be the thing that's out in the front because especially given the amount of exposure and the investment that comes in people respond a lot to the top line numbers and even though people in the know may really understand that you got to dig a little bit deeper. Sometimes the perception of things may hurt how much investment goes into it, no different than conversations we've had on this podcast about hip hop's decline and whether or not that is or justified based on the stats that we've seen with things and whether or not it is how the perception of that can impact which artists get signed, which artists get to be made priorities by record labels and things like that.
1: It also means that the um, the industry is l- growing less Western-centric when it comes to music consumption and what artists people are listening to, but it's still just as Western-centric when it comes to where the money is concentrated.
0: Artists we haven't mentioned, but artists that, let's say you're either starting off today or artists that are trying to come in brand new because you go into these record labels and you see the pictures of these artists, many of them the ones that we've talked about here, and you're often sold on this image of well, we make stars, and if you come through this door, you have a chance of becoming the next Taylor Swift. You have a chance of becoming the next Ed Sheeran, Ariana Grande, The Weekend, whoever. But is that really true? Because that's what we're really talking about with this conversation. Is that really true? Even if you have all the talent in the world, even if you have the best producers, the best songwriters, all the packaging in the world, does the environment today even allow you to do that? And is that being communicated enough in that way? And of course, it's not that, I think anyone's trying to overly sell something, but there's also the things that aren't being said because of course you want to be able to show off the morals you have from all the success you've had when someone comes in. I don't know if that is necessarily always translating to people having a true understanding of what the ceiling is.
1: I think it is a problematic thing. And I know we've both written about it, how we can't keep using the previous generation stars as sort of benchmarks for the next generation. And we can't, necessarily just compare where those artists are at in their careers and use that to judge things. It's it's a fundamentally different landscape that they're working in. So I think my position with with all of this is that there won't be an artist that reaches the Taylor Swift level from the new generation of artists. That they may come close, but I think it's just becoming so much harder to break through and get kind of tap into a mainstream when it feels like a mainstream doesn't really exist and that our, our pathways into it are sort of disappearing. So I think there'll be more artists that sort of occupy this cult star role, but aren't really, you know, necessarily superstars in that global way. But yeah, we need to change our definitions here.
0: I look at someone like Dua Lipa, and it made me think of a career like Katy Perry, where I think also someone that maybe felt like a bit more hit to hit, not necessarily someone that I think had like a true cult following up personality in the way that I think that once the hits weren't coming anymore, kind of fell a bit out of the pop music world of relevance from that perspective. Of course, I know she's so relevant. She's on American Idol and stuff like that. But I think it's been at least 10 years since you know, a huge hit has come out in that way. And I look at someone like Olivia Rodrigo, big, but is this someone that I think can ever be bigger than like, let's say Ariana Grande? (laughs) She's someone else that also came up in this same timeframe when we're talking about probably even a little bit earlier. I mean, that's now been 10 plus years at this point. So I think each of these people may have comps like that where, okay, I can kind of see how this person could be like that person. But again, even that's tough. So not that even that's like anything that's not seen as a success by any means. But I still think it's a hugely successful career. But I think that anyone that thinks that they're going to have a Michael Jackson in the 80s or Taylor Swift now career just isn't as realistic.
1: We're not saying that there aren't stars anymore. The question is, are we going to reach these levels of global superstardom of an artist like Taylor Swift? I think the answer to that question is probably not. But that doesn't mean that you can't have a hugely successful career and that you can't be a star and that you can't play arenas i just think that the yeah the ceiling is getting a little bit lower but i think the connections to your fans are maybe going to go deeper like the the future like i said the future stars might be more like these cult stars that have really engaged fan bases but just aren't as well known to the average person and i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing it does mean that we have to rethink how we measure success and also how a label operates because obviously the the they're in the business of making hits and making superstars and this does mean that long term they we'll probably need to significantly adjust the way they operate
0: when taylor swift signed that contract with universal music group in republic back in 2018 there were other executives like stephen cooper who used to run uh warner thought it was artist friendly to a fault but Look at the commercial success on this album. Even if you don't have eighty percent ownership of that, why would you turn that away?
1: If you're a label right now, you should be holding on to your superstars, absolutely. And I think this is also part of what's driving the catalog acquisition space, and also the the huge rise in interpolations of past hits over the past couple of years. Um, I think mining hits. From the past, that were already proven successes, most people do remember is one of the ways that you can tap into the mainstream today. And I think that's part of the reason we're seeing so much of it. I also think maybe label rosters will start to look a little bit less like, okay, you have the two or three superstars, a couple of mid tier stars, and then everyone else, and it'll be more concentrated in the middle. It won't be such a top heavy roster. But I don't know. It's funny. Someone from a, a label actually asked me this question. You know, I so said, I've been reading all your work on fragmentation. How do you actually think that we sh- that it would look to change a label to, to work in this? And it was really hard to answer.
0: <laughs> but I do think that we're going to continue to see these labels continue to keep some of these aforementioned artists we're talking about there as long as possible. Because then if you have some new artists and they're interpolating something that they did, then you get... Both of those, right? Like you get everything because they're interpolating something that's from an artist catalog that you already own. And
1: this is a good place to bring up something I meant to say earlier, which is we don't talk enough about the fact that Bad Bunny is mostly an independent artist. You know, he has a deal with Sony, I believe, um, but it's not a standard record deal. And it's more so that. My understanding is he, he has his own label and it's more so distributed through Sony and obviously has access to their teams and their marketing power and all that, but it's not a standard record deal. And I think that's something that we don't talk about enough. This is one of the biggest artists in the world and his career is mostly
0: independent. And that's why I think he falls in this category where. He was able to do it largely because I think Regen from where he's coming from and just the growth and trajectory there allowed him to grow in a way where it wasn't nearly as saturated. And I think that helped tremendously with this. And it was really smart that he did it that way, too, right? Taking advantage of the way that it's there, where I think in the U.S., sure, eight, ten years ago, we were able to see Chance the Rapper become quite successful doing it that way. But that was also a very different era than it is now. and. We just haven't seen that be able to lead to that same consistent level of success to reach this level. Both you and I know a lot of these artists personally and have featured or highlighted them in particular ways. But I think at this level, it's tough to do it. And Bad Bunny has shown that it is possible, especially because he's from one of these um, regions that isn't nearly as saturated to. Another point I wanted to talk about, because I know that, with the work you do, you look at things happening in other industries as well. But this dynamic isn't dissimilar from what we see in Hollywood, from what we see in gaming as well. You look at some of the headlines, you look at um, Grand Theft Auto 6, that's the biggest video game ever. The sixth edition of this game. This is the one that gets a billion dollar budget. It isn't some brand new thing that people are testing out. There's a proven fan base that's here and the last one almost came out a decade ago so that's the closest thing you have to a beyonce or taylor swift of the video game industry if you're trying to make a comp for there and then similarly in hollywood you look at some of the people that are the big names that continue to sell movies it's leonardo dicaprio who's almost 50 years old it's julia roberts it's denzel washington who's almost 70 years old These are the names that are often the ones that are looked at. And it's not that there aren't young actors that aren't just as talented as they were when they were coming up. It's just a completely different era where it's tough to be able to get there. As good as an actress like Florence Pugh may be, the dynamic just isn't there for her to become, you know, as big as some of the names that we had mentioned, regardless of how talented she may be.
1: And I think film is where... I see this dynamic reflected the strongest, where Hollywood is clearly struggling to make these blockbuster movies that they used to be able to rely on. And on the other hand, when you look at what studios are having success, A24 comes up a lot, which is a studio that is focused on films that fall outside of the mainstream and are very, you know, niche and sometimes weird and like don't aren't supposed to appeal to the mainstream. So I think this old strategy of, you know, release this blockbuster movie that, um, is made to be general enough to appeal a little bit to a lot of people doesn't work anymore. And what's working better is making something that's hyper specific to the audience that it's intended for. Um, and I think that also goes along with how because of the presence of algorithms and, you know, people's feeds being hyper tailored for what they're interested in, I think people now expect to be served content that is made for them. And when it's not, they very quickly dismiss it in a way that wasn't the case 10, 20 years ago. I think the new generation of like the next class of star actors like um like Jacob Alordi, like Hunter Schaefer, Jeremy Allen White, like these that I guess those are mostly from TV, um, and not film, but they're not as famous and omnipresent in the way that you know, growing up like Leonardo DiCaprio was and like Angelina Jolie and Jennifer Aniston, you know, going through the supermarket and the magazine aisle.
0: Like, it's not the same. It's like that quote that Anthony Mackie had made at one of those Comic-Con sessions where he said that Falcon, his Marvel character, is a movie star. Falcon's a movie star, but Anthony Mackie is not a movie star. And how that just extends to like Chris Evans, like Captain America's the movie star, but was Chris Evans a movie star in the same type of way? I mean, they're clearly trying to push that and prove that now, but I think that's where some of that dynamic is. The interesting thing with A twenty four, I sometimes I wonder part of the reason why we're able to highlight their success so much is because you can actually see the public box office budgets and the revenue that comes in. Part of that's because of how the industry reports things. I think part of it as well is because when you're taking public funding and things like that to do these movies in the world, you also have to disclose certain things, but that's not necessarily the case in music. And it makes me think of companies that sit outside of the traditional industry, but do do quite well, but you may just not hear as much about the ins and outs of what they do in the same way. I think about a company like Create Music Group, or I think about a company like Empire because it isn't as objectively public in the way that you could see, oh, uh, everything, everything, or all at once made this much, it only costs this much, that us not being able to necessarily see that same type of thing publicly, I think are probably two of the closer examples that you may get to those comps in music.
1: No, oh, definitely. We There's a huge lack of that kind of public data on all of this. It's-
0: Before we close things out, I do want to mention like, a few honorable mentions that came up in our discussion. Um, Because we were texting back. We talked about Lizzo. We talked about Cardi B. We talked about BTS and Luke Combs. And I think for a few reasons there why we did it. Lizzo probably may have some similar things in line with Doja Cat to some extent where I think there is a fan base that is quite you know, rabid and popular, I think there also are controversial incidents that have happened as well. I also think that the touring in some ways can do even better than the streaming can, even more so, I would say. I think Doja streams a lot better, but I don't know if I necessarily see it getting to like that level. I think Luke Combs, I don't think he's nearly had necessarily the same controversy as Morgan Wallen, but I don't think the star difference is there as much. BTS, if we're having this conversation three years ago, I think definitely would have been in the mix. But when the group is on hiatus, I think it's a bit tougher. Although one of the band members, I think was featured on a popular song this year, but it's just not the same as the whole group. And I think Cardi B, as much as I think that she's kind of worked the pay me for this and I'll do this, pay me for that and I'll do that and kind of itemized her career in that way. I do think that, to reach these levels, you do have to put out, like, albums on a more regular basis and go on tour as a solo artist on a more regular basis. And I don't, I just think that she hasn't necessarily done those same things. And, you know, you're a mother of two kids. You may not necessarily be trying to tour the entire world. I get it. So a lot of these things may work naturally for her career right now, and I get it. But I think those are some of the things that may just make it tougher to reach those levels. But
1: I think the only thing I have to add is um, for BTS, also it based on the last couple of interviews that they did it, it does sound like the members are interested in exploring solo projects and kind of doing other things do you think there's a there's a possibility that they'll go in those other directions especially now that some of the members are in military enlistment and all that so
0: yeah and i think the other person that um people that we just didn't talk about here people may be wondering oh why didn't you talk about harry styles sure his solo career may have taken off but he's been a pretty big star for one direction for over a decade now so I mean, you gotta count all of that.
1: Also the weekend was the other one, right? Yeah. Like started up in the mid to late two
0: thousands, something I think like it was that. Like late 2010s, I think House of Balloons or the trilogy had came out. I oh, think it was yeah, like House yeah, of yeah. Balloons that came out. He uh Drake had featured him on the blog post like leading up to Take Care. So I think it, it's been like 13 years now though, I would say. I mean, good for him. He definitely hit stadium levels, performed at the Super Bowl and I think he's done a lot of those things. I think he's had a very successful career. Can he be even bigger than he's already been? I mean, I don't know. I think he was one of him and Dua Leap were kind of two artists that I think in the same way that we talked about Billie Eilish, the pandemic kind of worked against her just because of like where it fell with her like timing of everything. I think it likely worked to The weekend's favor because he released an album like right when things were in quarantine and then he was able to kind of dominate the sound when, or dominate airways when a lot of other artists really weren't.
1: I think the one thing I'll say about the weekend that's interesting is from our brand tracker in contrast with a lot of the other artists I was looking at, he has lower brand awareness, but higher streams and a higher proportion of super fans, which I think means two things. It means he either has a core super fan base that streams him a lot. So lower brand awareness, but if you know, you know, and you're streaming a lot. Or he has a lot of people that are streaming his music, but don't know who he is. I think in reality, it's probably a mix of both of those things. Um, But I thought that was interesting because that did make him stand out and contrast with the other artists on this list who had actually pretty similar ratios of, you know, super fans to awareness and like kind of similar brand awareness. So... That was interesting.
0: It makes me think of the stats that I know that we would never be able to get access to, but how many of the streams were on-demand streams where it was actively chosen to listen to it versus how many were algorithmically played or suggested to you? Because Blinding Lights is the most streamed song on Spotify last time I checked. It's either that or Shape of You, so I may be misspeaking, but either him or Ed Sheeran is always kind of going back and forth between one and two there. You mentioned the Superfans piece. What are the weekend's fans called? Like, does he have a God super I fan base? I don't name know. Or? What are they called? <laughs> I have no idea. I, I have no idea.
1: <laughs> I don't know. The EXO crew?
0: Really? I don't know. That's what they're
1: Someone called. Please, please verify.
0: <laughs> the EXO crew. Oh, they got to have something better than that. Can you think of any male artists that have a fan base name? I guess the BTS army. A group though, not an individual artist though. Can save that for another day. But um yeah. That's what... We, yeah. <laughs> we
1: can have a whole podcast on that.
0: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, before we close things out, anything else on this topic or anything that comes up?
1: Like we said, this was the perfect time to talk about this. I'm really interested to see how much of our predictions are right or wrong. Um, so let's revisit in a year, I guess, and see see how we did.
0: Let's say four years from now, because I think that's kind of the threshold that we're talking about, where four years from now can anyone really become the biggest star? Because I think for a lot of these people, it's been several years that they're here. And for the average pop star, even in the streaming era, you kind of have a four or five year window of being the person and having your music resonate and resonate strongly in that way. And Dua Lipa's on year seven. Even going back to her, you can clearly see that they're still pushing things that she's featured in this movie coming out called Argyle. There's a bunch of other Hollywood actors in it. So it clearly looks like something that they're putting a ton of money into. But yeah, I just wonder with a lot of these artists, we're clearly seeing them be big now. And are they ever going to be bigger than where they currently are today? Because you kind of have to be to be in this kind of conversation that we're talking about. And things can always take a turn. You never know where things are going to go, right? It could have been hard to predict that after Beyonce had released her album for that, she ever would have, you know, went to the continued levels that she would have. She already seemed like she was very successful. This was post-single ladies and all that, right? Kind of similar with Taylor Swift. It seemed like, you know, after Red and even after 1989, the the, the original version, it seemed like, okay, you saw how big this person is, and now it's clearly bigger. So sometimes you just, it's, it's, it's tough to gauge, and who knows? I think that I think you and I have talked a lot about this, but you think about the biggest artists each decade, like when are we not going to be able to say that it's Taylor Swift, Drake, Adele, and Beyonce when we look back on the 2020s? Are are there going to be different people? I think obviously Bad Bunny is someone that would be in that category, but is anyone else that we've talked about today? I I guess we'll have to see.
1: It is interesting how it does feel like a lot of people didn't expect Taylor Swift to hit this level of stardom and I don't even mean like when she started, I mean, uh, even, you know, when she was having major success and she had her breakthrough albums and all that, I still don't think anyone expected her to reach this level. And I've had so many people this year, like friends, family, people in the industry be like, did you see this coming? Like, did you know she was this big? I knew she was big, but did you know she was this big? And yeah, I think it just goes to show that um, it is tough to gauge and it's something that takes again, more than five years more than seven years more than maybe more than 10 so we might not you know we might
0: not know right we definitely can't predict this is technically year 17 of taylor right <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's what i mean yeah so yeah
0: so we'll see we'll have to continue to revisit this but tati yeah. thanks again for joining it's been a pleasure yeah thanks for having me if you enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend Send it to one or two people you think would really get value out of listening to this episode. And while you're at it, if you could rate and review the show, that would be great. Rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, rate the podcast on Spotify, rate the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps make sure that the word gets out about Trapital and what we're building here. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you next time.